G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story I phoned them and I just said, well, you know, you're going to Northern Iraq? And they said, yes. And I said, well, I'm 50. And I said, I want to come if I can. So they said, come. And I was feeling, oh, I'm stupid. This is ridiculous. What am I doing with all the young people? And so I made a pact with God. I just said, look, if I'm not happy by the end of this week, I'm going to get in my car and I'm going back home. And he made me happy. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, in 1991, Gloria Hardy was feeling very disgruntled with her life. She was a 51-year-old swim coach whose children were now adults. And she was wondering, how could God use me? All I know is swimming. That all changed one night when she saw a news story reporting on the desperate plight of the Kurdish people in northern Iraq, who had had their homes bombed by Saddam Hussein. Gloria decided to get involved. She's written about her adventures in her book, The Master's Touch, and she'll share her inspiring story with us today as she has a chat with Eric Scatterbo. Gloria Hardy, welcome to the program. Thank you. And where are you joining us from today? From Pakenham. That's where I live. That's right. So the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. Welcome to the yes. program. And we want to find out about all the adventures you had in Iraq. But first, let's go back to where it all started. Where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Bentley. So not far from where you're living now, is that right? Oh, it's a little way. It's about a three quarters of an hour. From okay. The car. That's but southeast of Melbourne. Oh, yes, yes, for sure. In, yes. in, in that general area. Okay, so yep. what was life like growing up in your home? It was very basic. We didn't have uh, a lot, but I had all my needs met. I uh, had a beautiful mother who's Christian, mm-hmm. and we spent most of our time down the beach, and that's all I needed is <laughs> just the water. <laughs> yes, yeah, so swimming uh, was a part of your life from an early age. That's right, very early age. I can never remember learning to swim. Now, let's go back to 1942, because that plays a part in your story as well. Yes, it does. What happened in 1942? Well, 42, my father was sent away to war, and um, my mother was left to sort of manage the household things, and she had, as most people did back here, a very difficult time. And we did have the land in Bentley at the time, but... The house was going to be built on this land that my parents had bought in Bentley. Mm-hmm. And my mother wanted the house to be built further back on the block. And um, the builders had their own way because my father wasn't around and they built it further forward, which to my mother's disappointment. But we didn't realise at the time that that's when God had everything in control. So in 1962... We were able to build our swimming school because the house was not built further back. It was huh. built forward, and we had the room to do it. Wow. So what was a disappointment to your mother at the time? turned out to be a blessing in disguise. Yes. Okay. Right. Well, yeah. We're kind of getting ahead of the story. Let's find out about you getting involved in swimming and being a champion. Yes. 
well, uh, as I was always involved in swimming down the beach, and you know, I joined a club down there, and mm-hmm. then uh, I realised that, or my mother realised that I needed more help with my swimming, so I joined the Olympic Club, and then uh, found that there wasn't really good training in Victoria, so I ended up in going to uh, riding my motor scooter to Adelaide in 1959 to do training under Harry Gallagher, Dawn Fraser's coach. That's right. But you had been the champion for Victoria, is that right? Oh, yes. I was Victorian champion then and record holder, but I knew that I could do better if I had better training. So that's where I went, spent my time uh, in Adelaide training with a much more organized squad. Yes. So it was your goal to go to the Olympics in Rome in yeah, 1960. Yeah, my goal was to go to the 1960 Rome Olympics. And so you hung out and trained with Dawn Fraser? Yes, we trained together. We, She had a motor scooter like I, and we did all sorts of things together. We were good mates, but yes, later on I did have some three very bad accidents, which stopped me from being able to train. So your dream of going to the Olympics didn't come about because of these uh, injuries? Yes, injuries, yeah. Mm. So that must have been devastating to you. It certainly was, yeah. I felt the whole whole world had crushed. Yes, so that's when I decided to come home and my mother having a beautiful faith and, and always ready to stimulate me, she said, how about building a swimming school? (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, just what? like that <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah, just like that I said oh that's oh. <laughs> a good idea <laughs> yeah, so, so that so, must have been uh, very frustrating that Don Fraser you're seeing her on TV winning all yes. these medals and you're thinking yes, wow that yes, could have been me yes. is that right yeah that's right it could have been me but wasn't meant to be yeah yeah so meanwhile your mother had a good idea yes yes and uh, a lot of faith mm-hmm and we believed we could do it, and uh, we did it. <laughs> and the first year we had it open air, wasn't needed, was very basic, and we were that busy, we decided we didn't close and heat it because we could then use it the whole year round, so it became a, an indoor heated pool. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. this was your full-time job? Oh, yes, yeah. More more than full-time. <laughs> Oh, more than full-time, okay. <laughs> oh, it's flat out. <laughs> yeah, so you enjoyed that for many years? Oh, yes. I, it was 20, 28 years we remained that, yeah. Mm. So that was very successful. We're going to fast yes. forward in your life. Things were going okay. But then I had a divorce, and um, that was probably the worst part of my life, where I just felt like, yeah, the ground had opened up and swallowed me. And um, then I got very ill. I was losing consciousness and discovered I needed a pacemaker. Mm-hmm. And caused really through shock. And um, on my way to hospital, my mother was driving me to get the pacemaker. We put it on the radio. It was a Christian radio. And the first little text for the day was, the Lord is my pacemaker, I shall not rush. Huh. And I knew God was right in because I was 
going into hospital to have a pacemaker. (laughs) (laughs) So this was a low point in your life, as you mentioned. Very, very low. Right after your marriage broke up, you're having these health problems, but you knew... And I had to sell my business then, so everything went kaput. (laughs) Oh, okay. So what was your faith before then? You said your mother was a strong Christian, but had you been a Christian all these years? Oh, yes, yes. I've just grown up as a child, being used to going to Sunday school. It's been just... uh, a gradual growth with me, mm-hmm. but uh, I got baptised when I was 14, mm-hmm. and I've just been involved with youth groups and and um, just jogged along, and, and that's how God took hold of me. Mm. But at this point, your life was really yeah. rocked because you intended to be married for the rest of oh. your life, so this was really a shock to you. I don't like divorce, so yeah. I was not even going to get divorced. It was only that my ex-husband's choice and I had no choice but to go along with it. Okay, so your life is kind of falling apart, I guess you could say. Marriage oh, breaks sure. up, health problems, you lost your business, you sold your business. Mm. Yep. And then you heard that on the radio which encouraged you about yeah. getting your pacemaker, you knew God was in control. Yep. And then you kinda had right. that conversation with God asking him what can he do yeah. with swimming. That's exactly what happened. What can you do with swimming? It's useless. <laughs> So you thought? Yes, so I thought, yeah. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Gloria Hardy, who's the author of the book, The Master's Touch, about the many adventures she's gone on serving the Lord. As we're hearing today, it all started when she was in her 50s and thought to herself that there was no way that God could use a 51-year-old swimming coach. We'll find out the remarkable way that God changes her mind when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're back with more of Gloria Hardy, who's the author of the book The Master's Touch, about the many adventures she's gone on serving the Lord. Today, we're learning how it all began when she mistakenly thought that there was no way that God could use a 51-year-old swim coach. Now, here's more of Gloria's chat with Eric Scadabo. I ended up into going into missions, and in each country I've been in, I was asked would I please take a swimming program for either orphans or doctors and I found I was still passing my skills on to these people in third world countries and God was just proving to me that he can use anything Mm -hmm. if we're willing to allow him to do it. Mm. Amen. And then also you became involved in master swimming. What is that? Yes, I became involved in that when I when I first started Masters in Victoria. What is Master of Swimming? Well, it's the seniors, really, uh, and they swim in all, in all different sports, um, compete in five-year age groups, mm-hmm. and it goes right up to 100 if you can last that long. <laughs> <laughs> so you're competing against people your own age? But yeah, five-year age groups. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm. 
Yeah, so mm. and you were in your 50s at this point with a pacemaker. I was. I joined it when I was 50, yes. So then I kept, I hadn't been really training or keeping myself very fit all the, those years when I was running the swim school. I was too busy. But then I um, took it up again and started to join a club, Masters Club, and that got me going. <laughs> and then you won in international competitions in Canada, yes, England, yeah. Japan, yeah. Hawaii. So mm-hmm. you went all over the place. Uh, all over the place. Yeah. yeah, and we're winning, even though you had a pacemaker, apparently your yes. health improved. That's right, yeah. That was, I was able to do that, yeah. Uh, so, um, but they, the doctor has advised me now because I'm not as good, my heart is not as good as it was, that I shouldn't be stressing it as much as I did. <laughs> okay, so you're not swimming anymore. Uh, but I am swimming, but not competitively. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Uh, we all need to use our bodies and uh, swimming is a beautiful exercise, and uh, if we don't use it, we lose it. It's like a, an engine, it needs to be oiled. Oh, yes, very much so. And a mm. Bible verse that was instrumental in your life was Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Mm, Why was that yeah. so instrumental in your life? Oh, well, it's just that God has um, got everything in control. We've got to learn to trust Him. Mm-hmm that if we can't see what he's got there for us, just have faith and trust that he is guiding you the way you need to go and just follow that way and you you will eventually come out the other end. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might take a long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, we started yeah. this conversation hearing about how you questioned God. What can you do with swimming? and wanted yes. to know what direction would happen in your life. Then you saw the plight of the Kurds in northern yes. Iraq. Tell yes. us what happened. How did God tug your heart? Yes, well, that really didn't have anything to do with swimming at the time. Mm-hmm. It was that I was watching television in 1991, mm-hmm. and uh, this shocking picture came on the screen of just exactly what the Kurds had to do when their homes were ruined and they had to get out of and go up the mountains because they say, the Kurdish people say, the mountains are their only friends and that's where they're they're really mountain people. Mm. And as I was talking with one person who was involved in this when it happened, he took his own mother and father up into the mountains and he had to go by, he had a car at the time because people all had cars that were doing quite well mm-hmm. before all this attack. And uh, he had to take his elderly parents up in the snow. And this picture I saw on television was these families sitting around fires. They had a fire burning and they were trying to warm their hands. And they were sitting in the snow. They had no food, mm. just nothing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. They yeah. had no shelter. And they just ran up there. And that's when I said, somebody's got to help them. <laughs> wow, so God tugged your heart. Now, setting yes. the oh, historical yes. context a bit, this was mm. after the Gulf War. So Iraq, yes. Saddam Hussein lost that war to the coalition. Mm. And then mm. after the war was over, he began to bomb the Kurds mm. in northern Iraq. Is that correct? Mm. So that's, mm. that's why right. they had to yes. flee to the hills? That they had, Well, they had everything taken from them. He even filled, because they all operated on wells, because you can get water there if Mm -hmm. you can dig 30 
feet or so down. Yeah. And they were doing that, and they all had their own wells and had wheelbarrows and, you know, spades and things they could use. But then everything was taken from them, and the wells were all filled in deliberately yeah, so that they yeah. couldn't get water and any tools. They had no tools. So the first time we were there, that's what we, our men were doing, digging wells and getting the water back for them. Yeah, I guess getting back to the historical context, Saddam Hussein lost that Gulf War in the early 90s, and he didn't mm-hmm. want the Kurds to get in their minds that they could take advantage of the situation yes. and mm-hmm. have independence and have their own yes. country or something like that. So he yes, wanted to make right. sure that they were put down. Yes. And as you saw mm-hmm. on TV, he was putting them down, bombing oh, and filling sure. in their wells yes. and just yes. really making their lives miserable. So oh, you saw that on TV and you said, hey, I need to help. Yeah. Is that basically yep. what happened? That's what started me, yeah. So what do you do? You're you're in the Melbourne area. You're watching TV. How do you get involved in something in northern Iraq? Uh-huh. Well, I was involved with Youth with a Mission. Well, I was in contact with them at times. Mm-hmm. And I heard that they were going to do, they, they were doing a, um, a course with an outreach into northern Iraq. Oh, and, there you go. And it was for young people, and I was 50 at the time. Yeah. And so they were there, their base was in Goulburn, and so I phoned them and I just said, well, you know, you're going to northern Iraq? And they said, yes. And I said, well, I'm, in, I'm 50, I'm not a young person because young people that they were getting in to do all this digging and building, rebuilding for them. And I said, I wanted come if I can. So they said, come. So I joined up huh. with it and did a three-month course in mm-hmm. Goulburn mm-hmm. Uh, to train as to culture and whatever. And uh, then off we went. I went with a whole lot of young people. <laughs> and uh, when I first, the first week that I went to Goulburn, I thought, this is crazy, all these <laughs> young people under 20. W- were you the only person there over 50? I was, yeah. And I was feeling, oh, I'm stupid. This is ridiculous. What yeah. am I doing with all these young people? And so I made a pact with God. I just said, look, if I'm not happy by the end of, the, uh, of this week, I'm going to get in my car and I'm going back home. Yeah. And he made me happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, understandably, you would kind of feel out of place because you're the only older person there. But as right. time went on, you kind of became the mother figure to a number of the That's kids exactly there. what I was going to say to you. Yeah. They needed a mother and they mm-hmm. were coming to me with all sorts of things. And so that did it. <laughs> so you, you felt needed. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so you had a role to play, and you could really help them. Yes, that's right, yeah. So you continued on with uh, the training and eventually went to Iraq? Yes, yes with them, yeah. What happened when you yeah. got to, uh, well, first you went to Turkey, is that right? Oh, well, you've got to go. We had a 44-hour transit uh, to get into Iraq, and... If you have about a couple of hours, I could tell you the story. <laughs> um, uh, but it was a, a horrific time to have to get there. It was five planes and waiting at airports, you know, 44 hours and absolutely exhausted by the time we got there. But yeah. we had to fly into Turkey mm-hmm. and then we had to catch a Turkish plane across to a place called the Abaca, which is very east in Turkey. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you get off, you know that you're in a war zone because there's tanks and 
everything, people around with guns, everybody carrying clash and gloves and wow. you think, wow. Yeah. You know, it was a real eye-opener. And so then we had to have an eight-hour journey in a bus, a little bus, to get into Iraq. And then we had to cross the border mm-hmm. from Turkey to Iraq, and that was a big procedure. You go through that many checkpoints, and it was very traumatic, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, here you are, you know, somebody from the Melbourne suburbs, yeah. and yeah. now you're in... You're going into a war-torn country, and you're seeing tanks and guns, mm-hmm. and, and eventually you heard fighting in the distance. Did you yeah. ever say to yourself, what in the world am I doing here? No, I didn't quite say that to myself. I, no? I, I probably had, um, I just had my goal, you know, that I've got to go in and help these people. Mm-hmm. And you felt and God that, wanted you there? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. What, what about your children? What, what did they think about you going there? Well, they're, they're in their 20s. At that point. Um, and they're very supportive, although my pastor thought I had rocks in my head. And <laughs> his, wife, his wife says, aren't you frightened? And I looked yeah. at her and I thought, it never occurred to me that I'd be frightened. I was not frightened. It just really amazing. It was just amazing, yeah. Now, do you think that was because you had the peace of God? Oh, Undoubtedly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. You yeah. knew this was where you were supposed to be. That's where I should be, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so let's pick up the story. You're, you're just entering into Iraq. Then what happened? Well, our team was divided in two, and half the team stayed in the main city of Zacco, which is just across the border. Mm-hmm. And the rest of us, there was four of us, had to travel another three and a half hours to a little town called Shiladiza, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we got quite surprised that that's where we didn't have any any buildings to be comfortably sleeping in. We had a, a summer tent and uh, army bunks, and mm-hmm. it was, we'd travel each week on weekends down to the main city where the rest of the team were, just to be together as a team, mm-hmm. and then for the next week, we'd come back again to our Again. So, uh, now, now, now let me just say this. I recently went camping and I barely survived two or three days in the heat. You were there for <laughs> weeks, <laughs> weeks at a time, and, and it got up to 50. Is that right? That's right. Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But it, it's not, a, it's not a oppressive heat, it's, it's dry heat. Oh, okay. St- still hot. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hot, I can tell you. Yeah, and yeah. there's just nowhere else to turn, and you just think, all right, okay, this is it. Yeah. We had a little tin shed to, as a toilet, and mm-hmm. we had a, that was where we had our splash water of ourselves to have a wash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very basic. Very, very basic. Yeah. Um, and we were handing out, because we were alongside a very organized Kurdish tent, we were handing out um, building supplies for the people so that they could re- rebuild their homes. So we joined in with helping them. So you were part of another ministry. You were just aiding them. Is that right? Yeah, we joined yeah, with the Kurdish people to help mm-hmm. distribute this um, building material. and then So they could um, rebuild their lives. That's right, mm-hmm. yeah. And we hopped in and did building with them and mm-hmm. just slept on the mortar with our hands. We had nothing else to do it with but our hands. Our hands got very nice and smooth, <laughs> putting the mortar on. 
but um, one thing that sticks out in my mind so much is that because we had basic food when we in this camp and one day I just said, oh, if only we could have some milk and eggs. Mm-hmm. Do you know there was a little uh, sort of a, a wayside stop and they had a few odd things in there. So we wandered down there and when I walked in the door, here was a dozen eggs sitting on a bench. Mm-hmm. There was hardly anything else in there. And then I looked across on a shelf, and I've still got the label. <laughs> there was a tin sitting up on the um, shelf, and it had been big writing, Gloria, on it. And here I am in a place that speaks nothing else but Arabic <laughs> and writes nothing else but Arabic. Yeah. And here I'm reading Gloria. And so I got the eggs and that tin because I just felt like that tin did belong to me. <laughs> and when we got back and opened it, it was condensed milk. <laughs> so you wanted eggs and milk and God provided and it for milk. you and even put your name on it. That's right. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. So I, he was I meeting your needs. Even now, I yeah. can't get over that. Yeah. I've still got the label. <laughs> oh, do you? Oh, Okay. Well, that was part one of Eric Scatterbo's conversation with Gloria Hardy, who's the author of the book, The Master's Touch, about the many adventures she's gone on serving the Lord. As we heard today, it all started off with her ministering to the Kurdish people in northern Iraq, which was still a war-torn country at the time. And to think just before being called by God to go there, she was thinking to herself, how could God use me? I'm just a swim coach. But then God showed her all the remarkable ways he could use a swim coach and all the other remarkable things he had in store for her that she didn't even know she could do. Incredible. We'll hear more of Gloria's inspiring story next time. But before we end today, I just want to emphasize the lesson that God had begun to teach Gloria. And that was sometimes that we feel like we're nothing special and have nothing to really offer God. But nothing could be further from the truth. As the Bible says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Yes, God has a rich future in mind for you and for everyone who turns their lives over to him. We'll hear more of the story of what God had in store for Gloria next time. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. The people were saying to us, what is it about you people? You are different. And we were able to hand, because we did have the use of the book of Luke in Arabic. And when people asked for it, we we were handing it out. Asked them, first of all, if it was okay. And they were quite happy to receive them. Although you can't just go around handing the Bible out there, you'd be shocked. But if they asked for it, we were giving it. In the 1990s, Gloria Hardy learned about the desperate plight of the Kurdish people in northern Iraq, whose homes had been bombed by Saddam Hussein. It was then that she decided to get involved. This was the beginning of several adventures Gloria went on for the Lord. We'll hear all about them next time. The The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.